1: And
0: welcome to episode 118 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, which was our last episode of 2013, we answered a big batch of questions. It's the start of 2014 and. In- Everybody seems to be making technology resolutions this year, so we thought we'd do that as well.
1: Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking resolutions, and specifically, technology resolutions for the new year. In our second segment, we'll talk about some things that interested us in the coverage of the Consumer Electronics Show. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's technology resolutions. At the beginning of every year, we we always see a deluge of articles on how to set resolutions for the new year, whether you're getting in better shape or losing weight or being better with your finances. uh, Most of the time, these resolutions, I think, are forgotten or set by the wayside by the end of January, if not sooner. We think, however, that from a technology perspective, it's a good idea to set some goals with regard to the technology you have and maybe the new technology you might be working with over the course of the new year. So in this episode, we want to talk about the best ways to set these technology goals and maybe share some of our goals with you. Dennis, you recently had an ABA journal column about technology resolutions you want to start with that
0: yeah, the, the article was called Making Tech Work Better For You. It's in the January issue of the ABA Journal, my regular uh, column there, where I tried to come up with some ways and some suggestions to, to take on technology for the new year. And as I sort of thought through that article and as I look at my own behavior since the first of the year, I I, I think the whole resolution thing is a little tricky. And you know, often the approach we take to our resolutions in general and our tech resolutions in particular particular set us up for failure. And so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about at time, because I noticed a couple of things because we're at the time of this recording, almost two weeks into the year, and and I sort of haven't really set my resolutions for this year. I have some ideas but I noticed that some of the things that I thought I was going to do, I kind of made the first step, but they didn't really get me to where I wanted to go. And so I I had this sort of observation that if if part of your resolution involves getting a something or buying a something, that's really gotten you to the wrong place. Because I think that the fact that you know, I have this Apple Airport Time Capsule still in the box next to me. It means that I actually did get it for this year, which is part of my resolution. But implementing is, I think, the real resolution. And so, I think sometimes you have to kind of really think through what it is that you want to get accomplished as part of that resolution. So, Tom, in the article, I I went with a two-step approach into resolutions. And Which kind of goes away from my usual three-step approach, and maybe I'm missing something by just doing two steps. But the first was to learn one new technology that really uh, appeals to you or to learn to use a technology that's very important to you better. And the second goal, I think, which is always important, is to choose one technology that kind of stretches you or forces you to learn something new. I don't know, what's your reaction to that approach?
1: Well, you know, I like that, but I think I would either change it slightly or modify it. I guess my difference is I uh, have already, to a certain extent, set the goals that I plan to uh, tackle for this particular year. And the way that I usually approach the goals are, I like to look at them in terms of the way you have, to the extent that I want to learn something new, but I also want to I want to look at a goal in terms of fixing a problem that I've had over the past year. And so that's the way that I look at it, is that you've got your um, approach to learn new technology, I think is a good one. But the second one for me is to find an irritation that bothers you. And I think you talked about this in your article, to find something in your current technology process that isn't working right, whether it's a glitch that needs to be fixed or technology that you don't have that would solve a problem that you have, but finding a way to take an annoying that you have and to solve it over the year, I think is a great way to do a goal because it's uh, kind of a, a win-win. You've learned something new, but you're also fixing a problem that you have. And so then I think for me, to me, that's not a stretch. That's not the stretch. That's uh, dealing with issues you already have. To me, the stretch is to find something that you haven't done, something that's outside of your comfort zone to you know, maybe learn a new workflow, to learn a new way to do things that you haven't 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 done before. I guess that's kind of a repeat of number one, but that's for me, I think that when I talk to most people, two goals is usually enough for them. And to me, having that one new thing to learn and and one annoyance that you fix seems to be at least a good start for the year.
0: Yeah, I think so. And also in the article, time, I went into some specific suggestions and I had about Five areas. There, there, I mean, there could be others, obviously, but the first one really you, you touched on, which I said relieving a major pain point, which is in, in a way, it is fixing an irritation, but it's sort of like fixing the big irritation. And so I suspect there's a good number of people, of lawyers this year, who are dealing with what I'll call the Windows XP issue, which is at some point you really do have to get off of Windows XP. And, And that has its own set of issues. But one of the things I remember when I was on XP was that It was so slow to boot up. And I think that slowness is a big issue for a lot of people in a number of situations. And that one is actually fairly easy and inexpensive to fix. And so to me, that's a great goal if you kind of take a look and say, where is my computer really slowing me down? And what can I do about it? And a lot of times it's just adding a little bit more RAM. It could be buying a new computer because you have a really aging computer. Or I think the really big improvement is getting the solid state drive, which just makes such a big difference in how fast the startup and the routine things that you do with your computer. So that to me is an example of something that's a, a goal that fixes that irritation, is straightforward to do, you can write it down, you can set a budget for it, and you can accomplish it very quickly. So that would be one example of re- leaving a pain point. Do you have uh, an irritation, Tom, that you think people might
1: want to fix? Well, I'm going to actually piggyback on one that you mentioned, which I think is you mentioned Windows XP, but I'm going to expand that and say, for those of you who either have already upgraded from XP, let's just make that goal to say that your irritation is to upgrade to at least one new product this year. The example that I will actually use is Adobe Acrobat, because I'm part of a mailing list right now where people are deciding somebody has to upgrade and trying to decide whether the new subscription service on Adobe is worth it, or whether they should just buy the software. And the number of people who've chimed in on that discussion who say that they're still using Acrobat 8 or Acrobat 9, when here we are on Acrobat 11. It really is a shame, not just because I think the people who haven't upgraded are missing out on a ton of great features, on a ton of great functionality that the software has improved over time. And I know that we talk about this a lot, that lawyers tend to be more frugal, tend to be a little bit more budget conscious when it comes to technology purchases than when it comes to other parts of their practice. But when the difference and when the trade-off can be an increase in efficiency, then you've really got to do a kind of a different calculation there on whether this is costing you something. And I think that far too many lawyers have too many outdated tools, whether it's an outdated version of Office or an outdated version of Acrobat or Windows or whatever it happens to be, choose something this year. If it's a new computer, like Dennis said, choose something and get it updated this year. To me, that would be the biggest friction, the biggest annoyance to try and take care of in the coming year.
0: You know, I time that Adobe Acrobat point is a great one because when you're in old, older versions, there's, there's two things that I really associate with uh, Adobe Acrobat now that aren't available in some of the, the earlier versions. And one of them is that totally simple typewriter tool, which is a great thing if you work with documents that have PDF exhibits. You just need to type Exhibit 1 on the top of them. And the other thing is the OCR scans, which are so easy to do and find and to make your documents searchable so there's just a couple of great little features when you move up that will make a big difference in what you do. Uh, The second one I had Tom and this sort of leads into your wheelhouse is uh, to try some apps for a specific purpose that really benefits you and the examples I like to give on apps and I'm going to keep giving this because I just think this makes sense on the iPad is like an outliner app or a mind mapping app. It just seems like that's something that for lawyers, it'd be a really great thing to do. I think for solos, there are now a good number of timekeeping apps and other things like that. And and I think that if you kind of step back and take a look at what's available in the app world and put that together with what would I like to do you know, using my smartphone or my tablet, I think you can really get some benefit. Again, could be free app, could be very inexpensive, but something
1: that's doable and you'll see the benefit right away. And I'll only say, and I think that probably my position here for this podcast is to expand upon what you've talked about. I would expand on that. Yep, learning a new app I think is great. But if really what you want to learn about is a new software tool, don't limit yourself to the apps on your smartphone or on your tablet. If you want to learn more about using OneNote, which I think is a fantastic note-taking tool, there's I need to learn more about using OneNote. I'd like to learn more about using Microsoft Project in developing project plans for my clients. And so finding a piece of software that you think could help you more in your practice, but you have never taken the time to learn it, go out and get a book that can help you with that. I find that for most major pieces of software, the Missing Manual series is fantastic and is a great, huge book on how to uh, get uh, that kind of information, how to learn about software really to get into the nitty gritty of doing it. So I think that's a great goal, but I personally wouldn't limit it to apps. I would want to say, think about some software products that might make you more efficient and help you out more uh, in serving your clients. And the third idea I had, Tom, was to use technology to make
0: yourself more user-friendly and to make yourself easier to work with. And this goes back to my notion of sort of client-driven technology. How do you make it easier for people to work with you? Some of the traditional ideas are extranets and things along those lines, which are sort of of bigger goals. I think another thing that lawyers don't do enough of these days is instant messaging or texting. And so... That's an area where you'd say, maybe I learn how to do that. Maybe I have clients who have wanted to text me, so maybe this is a good time to try to figure this out and to use it and to, to learn some of the benefit of that. I mean, some other things might be uh, you know, the online scheduling tools, things like that, where it just becomes just a little bit easier for either people to reach you or communicate with you or to get you scheduled and work with you.
1: And I think that also includes talking with your clients. If you haven't, you probably should have already had this conversation before, but uh, talking with your clients and understanding from them, what's the technology that they use? What works best for them? Showing an interest in the tools that they use to either communicate or to get work done both impresses them that you take technology seriously, but at the same time that you want, you have an interest in, in working with them and not trying to work against them by introducing a tool that they haven't used before, or something that they won't use as a part of the work with the client. Fourth thing I had was work on your referral network
0: using social media. When I speak about social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, and I get, you know, I feel the resistance from lawyers and I see the glee that lawyers have as people talk about, you know, it's Facebook dead and people are fleeing Facebook in droves, you know, so there's only a billion users now. I've really tried to figure out how does social media make sense for lawyers? And I think that a lot of lawyers have either been, been told or think that you're going to use these social media tools to get new clients. is going to take the place of traditional things. But I think if you look at social media as a way to develop, extend, support your referral network and think of it in those terms, I think that will open up some great possibilities and let you take advantage of some of the things that you've already started to do in, in LinkedIn, especially, and, and maybe even Facebook as well.
1: So let me turn that around in a second and say, I'll have this question too. I, I'm good at posting things and generally interacting with Facebook friends, but how do you work on a referral network? Is it an active thing where you're out there communicating with people or is it more of a, you know, a passive networking, even though you might be uh, posting things that are interesting to either clients or lawyers or potential clients or things like that? What kind of things do you recommend to work on your referral network? I
0: think it depends on the medium. So in LinkedIn, I would say it's building out that professional network, so adding, you know, the people who would be part of that network and then providing updates, joining groups, doing other things that are, you know, putting up content that's relevant to those groups in a professional manner. In Facebook, where I think it becomes interesting is that on a, you know, semi-regular basis, but not All that often you do something that you do your normal things with your friends, family, the other people that you're connected to on Facebook, but you remind them that you are a lawyer, what it is that you do. And you provide some, you know, useful tip, a little bit of information from time to time. Because what I noticed is that some of the people I'm connected to on Facebook who are lawyers will sometimes say, just post something. Here's a great article on the times that you need a new will or something like that. Or our friend Marty Schwimmer, who every now and then will post some interesting thing about trademark. And then you go like, oh yeah, if I have a, a trademark question, you know, I know that it's Marty is the person that I would talk to. And so I think it's that. I don't think it has to be like a you know, like a massive campaign, but it's just sort of saying, how do I put together the people who might already be in my referral network and extend that a little bit and just provide useful information that help people remember who I am and what it is that I do.
1: So let's hit the last thing in your article, which to me seems like the most daunting and least achievable goal or resolution you might want to set during the year. And that's analyze your data. What were you thinking about when you wrote that in the article? Well,
0: this one I think is an ambitious goal, but it's sort of saying I have all this stuff that I've done. And if I'm in a law firm, that could be time and billing data. It could be other things. If I'm just myself, I could look at what are the types of documents that I do on a regular basis and start to quantify and look at that data and try to figure out things like how long does it take to do certain repeatable tasks? how many documents am i doing over and over again that might be candidates to be automated you know am i doing some things that i do enough of them that could be turned into templates and i could direct my attention to those templates and looking for that repetition and information in the data so i'm not talking about big data or you know like a big, you know, highfalutin analysis. I'm just talking about saying, let me look at what I did and and sort of say, here's how many emails I got last year to, you know, that sort of thing. And just pick one of those areas and, and see if there's something you can learn from that that you turn into action.
1: And I think I have always been a big proponent of the idea of metrics, that if you set certain goals with how you plan to do things around your office, if you don't step back occasionally and measure how... You're doing those things and how you're accomplishing the goals, and whether there are ways to improve them or make them different or find ways to automate them, then you're really just getting by with not doing a whole lot. And I, I think that even though we don't call it big data, it's still a form of metrics and measuring your performance against whatever your stated goals happen to be. And I think that's one of the hardest things you can do is to step back and reflect on all of that. But it's also one of the most important things. So I guess it's probably time now. What kind of resolutions did you come up with for this year, Dennis?
0: You know, Tom, it's one of those things where I sort of feel if I went back and listened to my resolution from last year, unfortunately, I still might have some of the same things online, but I I tried to take into account some of the things that I said in the article I did. And so I'm going to, I haven't finalized yet, but I know I'm going to sort of take my level of backup, you know, up a notch. Uh, so like I said, I have the time capsule using the transporter devices, ways to kind of back up everything. I went to Dropbox at your recommendation and I've encrypted USB drives and, and a new uh, regular USB hard drive. So I don't know exactly how I'm doing it, but I really want to take back up to the next level, you know, with the online and multiple components of that. The other thing is, uh, I am heeding your advice, and Evernote is definitely making better use of Evernote across the board is a big goal. And the big one I fell down on last year, which was to revamp and updo my website, is still front and center for me this year.
1: Well, those are good goals. The, for me, I've went back and I cannot completely remember the goals that I set. And of course, I didn't look at them before we recorded this. I do remember that I've had a longstanding goal to learn more about SharePoint. And it is a longstanding goal that I keep failing at. I think that SharePoint is a, an extremely useful and important tool, both in law firms and in corporations. And I think that it's very important to learn, but I have not had the time that I'd like to learn about it. So my goals this year are two. The first is to learn the Mac, to learn Mac computing. And I have taken the step to get there, and it's a rather expensive step towards the goal. I am sitting here with a Mac sitting on the desk right in front of me. I'm actually using both a Mac and a Windows computer because I just got it this weekend and I'm still transferring things over. But my goal this year is to uh, to work on multiple platforms. And uh, and so I plan to, to learn all I can about using a Mac this year and learn what all the fuss has been about. The second thing is more professionally oriented but it still has a technology background. And I think it is something that many lawyers, whether they should be doing this as a part of their practice or whether they should do it to represent clients, I think it's important. We're seeing in my job that privacy is a larger and larger issue with corporations, Never mind what the NSA might be doing, the fact that they've got HR records and health records and customer service records and credit card numbers and social security numbers, and they're all floating all over the place. And companies are showing a much increased desire to learn how to protect that information. And so um, my plan this year is to get certified, get a privacy certification, which has some technology components to it, but to be able to, uh, to help companies, and that would include law firms, with understanding how to best protect their information uh, in accordance with the regulations and best practices. So those are my two goals. One is going to hopefully help me more in work than the other will, but they're, I think, going to take the whole year to get it all done. Yeah, I think the privacy one is especially good, Tom. It's something that I touch on,
0: it seems like, almost every day these days, not surprisingly, given the work that I do. So I think that's a good place to go. Let me just wrap up by saying, you know, I think that resolutions are a good idea. I mean, I think that if you kind of keep them focused and smallish and doable in in the sort of normal sorts of ways that people advise you to do that, you can't accomplish something, and it's good to like build on successes. Don't make them too big. Kind of make them small. And then I wouldn't get too hung up if you don't make them because, as I said, I have some things from last year that I've just rolled over to this year, and I wish I'd have gotten it done, but I don't really feel that bad
1: because they're on the new list for me. And there it is. We'll see how we do next year. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor.
0: Visit www.servnow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.
1: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. There was a lot of coverage
0: this past week on the annual Consumer Electronics Show known as CES. This is the big annual show where we get a first look at some of the consumer technologies we'll see later this year. It's not all just bigger and sharper TVs. Uh, Tom, what did you hear from CES that got you interested?
1: Well, you know, I can't say. CES is interesting to me because what's more interesting are the things that are not going to come out in the near future. The things that are going to come out in the next couple of years that are still in development, I think uh, hold a lot more interest for me and therefore make CES a little bit useless in terms of being able to use things immediately. I will say though, that if I was thinking about what I saw this year, I would say that the theme was wearable technology and in a huge way because nearly everyone is rushing to the field of activity trackers and smartwatches or glasses that you can see a computer through, and I think that it's getting to be a very crowded field. I think that what we saw this year were lots of big companies rushing in where the small companies have been sort of dominating lately. And, and you know, we see things like Sony has a new activity tracker that will not only track your physical activity, it will also track your social media life events and completely life log everything that you do if that sort of thing is important to you. Intel has new headphones that will monitor your heart rate and nudge you to work harder. LG is going to notify you when the phone is ringing, when you can silence a call, enable you to control the music on your phone. So having technology that makes it easier for you to do the things that you are doing, I think was the theme this year. Did that particularly interest me? Eh, I mean I have an activity tracker. I have a Fitbit. I like it a lot. I don't really plan to use a smartwatch. I mean in my opinion they're all ugly. They don't have enough features. They're not just not a feature rich enough for me at least at this point. So I would say that uh there wasn't much to really get my interest. Dennis, what about you? Well, I think you're right.
0: Wearable technology, internet of things, which is huge. You know, the sort of smart house, all these different things that I haven't really kind of stepped into yet. But I keep watching because I see some value in that over time. Neither of these areas where I really feel like I'm a first adopter because if something goes wrong, then it's in your house. You know, you come home and you find out that your thermostat went up to 95 (laughs) or something like that. This stuff looks great on the TV commercials, don't get me wrong. But you sort of think like, well, I want to make sure this stuff really works the way it's supposed to. And I you know I listen to a lot of podcasts on the internet of things, and the people who are trying this stuff, they're really into it, and I'm thankful to them for being beta testers, but it's just a little bit too early for me. The wearable stuff, I kind of come down where you are on it, Tom. It's still a little bit early. It's technology more than fashion in a way, and that has an impact. There is the question of, do you want This device, uh, you know, like I say, a smartwatch that does everything or it does one thing or it does just a couple of things. And I think people are struggling with that because there is value in the things that do one thing. You know, for example, I heard on a podcast today is a bracelet that will monitor sort of the UV rays so you know when to apply more sunscreen. And it was a woman on the podcast who just thought this would be great because it was a bracelet rather than a clunky watch. And it did one thing that was specifically important, especially to women, on the sunscreen. And I can see the value of that. I'm really interested in, I think this could, a lot of people are predicting that later this year, this will become the year of the iWatch from Apple. I'm very interested in that. And then I also started to think in terms of, of wearable, because to me, we always used to say that the smartphone. Phone or the tablet was an extension of your desktop or laptop computer. And then it's like the smartwatch is an extension of that tablet or smartphone. So it's a more limited set of things you can do. So in a different layer of abstraction, if if you will. But I also look at myself and people who know me know that I have all these little rubber wristbands on, currently five of them. So the idea of adding... like a smart rubber, (laughs) you know, another smart rubber wristband, you know, like a Fitbit or Pebble or those other things that has, you know, maybe one or two functions. I'm a candidate for that, frankly. And so I don't know that I need to have a big clunky watch that does a bunch of things if I had something that did something specific, either in terms of fitness, health, or something else. So because I just see that I don't actually wear a watch. I wear these things instead. I'm actually a candidate for some of these things in ways I didn't think possible. I don't know, Tom, you remember last year when we first started talking about smartwatch and in the lead up to the show, we were both saying, ah, oh, there's no way we'll do smartwatches. And then by the time we did the podcast, I was like 95% sure I'd be trying a smartwatch. So I think my thinking on some of these things have changed, but it still feels really early on in a lot of these things.
1: I agree. And that's something about CES. I'll finish this out. And you've kind of gotten ahead of me talking about one of the products, but I'm going to give you a quiz to end this segment. This is a quiz. And the question is, which one of these crazy products was not released at CES? So I got three products for you. The first one is a toothbrush that's hooked up to the internet that teaches you to brush right and how long and well you brush. Number two, a bracelet that monitors your time in the sun and tells you how much sun is hitting your skin. So we already know already, Dennis, you told us the answer to that. Or three, a robotic device that automatically cleans your windows just like a Roomba. Dennis? Well, for the same podcast, they talked about both the
0: toothbrush and the UV bracelet. So I think it has to be the window Roomba is the the one that was not introduced.
1: And the correct answer is uh, I should have added a D or none of the above because all three of these crazy products were introduced at CES. So there is a device that will crawl over your windows and clean them coming soon to a house near you. Nice trick question, by the way. Yes, I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
1: Well, in connection with CES and what we've just been talking about, I read an article the other day from the website 9to5Mac called In Five Years From Now, Will We Have Given Up All Control Over Our Technology? And the guy who writes it goes through a very thoughtful discussion of how over the past couple of years, he's given over control of certain things that he does to technology, updating his apps automatically, telling him when it's time to go and do something, being able to get notified when you're close to a place and give directions to where you're going. And he went through and ticked off all the ways in which we are starting to really rely on technology to do this and some of it is the internet of things some of it is devices talking to each other but i think he has a very valid point about whether or not in the future we may do very little and let technology uh, take over and do all of it for us and uh, i i suppose that there needs to be some thinking about that and whether that uh, is a good thing uh, or something that we should be cautious about dennis or it could be something that just happens whether we think
0: about it or, or are cautious about it or not, So, which is another thing to think about. So two quick things. One is from J.D. Meyer, who has the Sources of Insight blog. And this is kind of in the spirit of resolutions. It's a blog post called How to Use Three Wins for the Year to Have Your Best Year Ever. Nice little post about just settling on three things that you would like to say. If I can do these things, they're wins for the year. As a nice little approach. Again, one of these sort of small, very straightforward approaches to resolutions and thinking in terms of wins. I think that's a good thing for people to look at as they think about what they're doing this year. And the other one is both for the idea and and more so for the discussion of it. On uh, one of my favorite sites, Cool Tools, there's a a post called index card holder for internet passwords. And somebody suggests suggest taking one of those plastic recipe boxes and four by six note cards and writing down all your passwords and username information and putting them in this box and then keeping it by your computer, but locking it up. And that this is for some people, that this is a great way to keep track of passwords, and it has the advantage of being nearby. You can lock it up if it's ever stolen. Then you know it's gone because the box is gone. Then there's a whole bunch of comments comparing this approach to password managers and other things. And it's in the comments that I think it really gets interesting because it makes you think about how you're handling passwords and who is the person who's using the passwords and what might work. And this kind of crazy idea, crazy-seeming idea about the index cards and the recipe box, might not be that crazy in certain situations.
1: Well, I guess i have to go read it to believe it because it sounds to me like that's just a box where you can now store all your sticky notes that uh, stuck to the outside of your monitor. And I just don't know. If you lock it up, maybe, but I'm unsold. I guess I need to go read the comments. Well, I remember the Bruce Schneier thing saying the best thing to do with passwords is to write them down
0: on a piece of paper and keep it in your wallet because we know how to protect our wallets and paper that's in our wallet. So this is kind of a variation off of that.
1: That's true. That's true. All right, so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tknreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a technology question or a topic that you'd like to have addressed on the show, please don't hesitate to contact or email us at TKMReport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at TKMReport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile.
0: And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. We're wishing a great 2014 to all listeners of this podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report.